Welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of There's More. And today I'm going to be doing something a little different. Up until this point with each episode of There's More, I've essentially done a teaching with each one of them. Every single one of these episodes so far has a movement to it. It has, here's where we're beginning, here's where we're going, and here's where we end, and here's the thing I really want you to see. And that's just one of the reasons I do this podcast in general is because I love preparing teachings. I love making those connections. I love offering people these gifts and I love taking people on these journeys, you know, which oftentimes are a result of me going on those journeys in my own life and making those discoveries. But today I wanted to do something a little different. Now, over the years, one thing I've noticed is that people really respond to quotes. Like we all love one-liners. We love, we highlight books, we take notes during sermons, we write stuff down, we listen to in TED Talks, right? There's so many different platforms that give us these great one-liners that we can just hold on to and we quote and we tell people. And they're so amazing because so often these one-lines name something we're experiencing but we don't have words for. Or they make sense of this next step in our life that we know is coming, but we haven't really been able to articulate yet. And then we hear this one quote and we're like, that person captures exactly what I'm feeling, what I'm desiring, what's in the way or where I want to go. And that's why quotes, those are just a couple of reasons why one-liners and quotes speak to us so much. And what I wanted to do here was take some of the quotes that I've come up with over the years through teachings, through writing, through all different kinds of places. Uh, I just gathered a few of them. So it's almost like I'm picking names out of a hat. And yet in our digital age, I'm not literally picking names or quotes out of a hat. I'm just kind of like scrolling through like a big swipe as if it's like a Rolodex in my phone where I have a bunch of like my quotes pulled up. And I don't know, I just thought it would be fun to do. And it's something I think also has the potential to offer some gifts to the people who are listening. Because one quote holds together so much life in it. Sometimes the one quote is what helps distill, make sense of, and clarify things you've been wrestling with and struggling with and being inspired by for years, but you haven't really been able to just capture. And then finally, there's this one line that either comes to you or you hear from somebody else and you're like, that's it right there. But if someone were to ask you, why is that quote so important? Why does that inspire you? It wouldn't just be you explaining the quote, like here's what the quote means. Usually what would happen is that quote would somehow fit into that particular moment in your story. Because you would say, well, I was in a time of my life where I was coming out of this relationship. And not only was I rethinking the relationship, but I was actually rethinking everything I was doing, where I was living, what I was doing for work, everything I had my hands on, I was rethinking. And so when that quote came to me, 
what it did was it helped me through that time. It inspired me. It challenged me. So every one of these quotes, every line, you can say so much more about it. And it's usually embedded within a larger story and a moment and why it means so much to you. So some of these quotes, I might connect with moments or stories of my own life. Some of them I might just expand on because it's one quote that I think almost captures an entire world. So now I'm going to get into the first quote. So I swipe my fingers. I look down. This quote says, the place you are least likely to go is the place you are most likely to grow. Now, Immediately when I hear this, I think of pain and I think of struggle and I think of going through the hard things that we normally try to avoid. What are the things people spend most of their life trying to avoid? Places where you're failing publicly and people know it. Places where you're disappointing people that mean something to you. Places that cause a sense of pain within you. So there's all these different kinds of places that we normally spend all kinds of energy trying to avoid. We avoid, like I have a bad habit of not looking at mail that I know is probably not going to be good. Like I can keep those things. Like I know they're bad and I just won't open it for so long because I know it's going to cause some sort of a problem. But to me, what that quote captures is there are actually treasures hiding within every single one of those hard places that we are avoiding. There are gifts waiting for us that are only going to emerge when we fail. There is wisdom we are going to learn that is only going to really get in us, like in our souls in our or in our hearts when we're the one who's experiencing that kind of pain. So when I say the place you are least likely to go is the place you are most likely to grow, there's an irony there. And the irony says all of the spaces we spend most of our lives trying to avoid are actually the very spaces that carry the most potential for transformation. So for example, a person starts a company, starts a podcast, starts um, a blog if it was 10 years ago. A person starts something publicly and they pour their life into something that means something to them for the first time. Let's say the worst case scenario happens and that thing finally ends, falls apart, or is no longer in order. Do you know why things falling apart is so hard? One of the reasons is because we know we're going to have to answer a lot of uncomfortable and awkward questions when it all goes down. Because what happens when we make a big fuss, when we put it on social media, when we promote it, when people know about it, when people are cheering for us, when people are hating on us, and then all of a sudden years go by and some people wonder, hey, whatever happened to that one thing you were doing? And you have to just come up with the, oh man, yeah, I was, oh yeah, that thing didn't work out. Hey, whatever, whatever happened to that thing you were so excited about? 
oh yeah, I'm I'm not doing that anymore. Me and my partner, we like that relationship fell apart and that's no longer in place. Just those conversations alone make it difficult to deal with that kind of failure. Like just the humiliation of our egos in the face of having to answer those questions of whatever happened to that thing. So that's the hard part. That's just, that's just one part of why that is so hard. But what I would say is that place you are least likely to go, that moment of failure when you have to answer people, there is actually all kinds of potential for growth and transformation there. Because when you face all those people, Every one of those moments is an opportunity for you to trust in a deeper way. My deepest value does not come from whether or not I succeed. Every time you have to answer one of those questions, you have the opportunity to trust the deepest part of what makes me human and what makes me valuable and what gives me dignity is not determined by whether or not I succeeded at that thing. And that's one gift that comes because before that failure ever happened, you didn't actually have to ask yourself that question, did you? You were still operating with the assumption that my value is primarily determined by whether or not I succeed, which quick side note, that is an extremely fragile way to live, isn't it? If you live and die with every success or failure, you are never going to find a centered point of knowing who you are in the midst of a constantly changing set of circumstances in your life. So that failure gave you the chance to connect with your deeper self in God in a way if you didn't fail, you would have never even been forced to go there. And you can go down the line with broken relationships, with failures, with being humiliated. And every time you're humiliated, it's like God saying, can you trust that I still see you? Yeah, those people aren't seeing you and recognizing you and affirming you right now and saying you're great. But the fact that they're not doing that forces you into a place to draw that gaze of love and affirmation from a deeper way. So that humiliation actually has the power to liberate you in a way that no form of success has. I mean, Richard Rohr says after the age of 30, success almost has nothing to teach you anymore. He says after 30, it's only failure that will teach you the deeper parts of that second journey and that second half of life. It's all of the places we avoid, the places we don't want to go that create an environment for us to grow, to be transformed, to ask deeper questions, to connect with God in a deeper way, to let go of our need for approval in a new way, and all kinds of other things. The place you are least likely to go is the place you are most likely to grow. And now for the second quote as I go through my Rolodex. Swiping my thumb, I look down. There appears to be a theme today because this one says, Our failures should not close us off to the world. They should open us up to God. I'm going to say that again because it's so good. And it essentially just builds on the last quote. And I promise all of my quotes are not about failing or struggle. 
This one says, our failures should not close us off to the world. They should open us up to God. When we make a mistake, what is one of the most intuitive and natural responses that we have as human beings? It is to hide. We fail. We make a mistake. We say something offensive in a conversation and we know we hurt that person. We know we crossed a line with them. And then it gets a little awkward and then you kind of snap back to reality. That was an unintentional eight mile reference. <laughs> you snap back to reality. <laughs> Another one that's two. You come back and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, that person was hurt by what I just said. Like as a person who sort of has sarcasm built into my natural conversation, that's something that's happened to me so many times. I'm joking, they're joking, I'm joking, they're joking, I'm joking, their whole demeanor changes. And then I realize, oh God, I crossed a line I didn't know existed and they got offended and it just got weird. And I know immediately the best, the, the only way to make this right is for me to approach them with humility and, and to say, you know, I, I, I think in that moment I probably crossed a line and I'm so sorry I did that. I care about you. I didn't mean to. I have a tendency to do that when I'm joking around. But my first response in my gut is like, dude, I'm over this. I don't want to, I don't even want to, matter of fact, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'll just not talk to them ever again. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to, I don't want to face them. I would rather just hide and not have to deal with it at all. That's a failure that naturally wants to close me off. When I disappoint somebody or I hurt somebody who I care about, I prefer not to face that immediately. And my natural preference is to avoid it, act like it never happened, <clears throat> move on without talking about it. So that failure naturally wants to close me off. But the quote says, our failure should not close us off from the world. They should open us up to God. And why that opportunity, why that moment, why that failure has a chance to open me up to God is because in that quiet space when I'm alone, where I have to decide, am I going to walk away? Am I going to end this? <clears throat> am I going to avoid this? Or am I going to grow and be an adult and have the humility that Jesus talks about so frequently in his life? Am I going to have the humility to face them and my mistake, to relinquish power, to put the power in their hands, which is why one of the reasons it's so hard to ask for forgiveness? Am I going to humbly approach them and apologize? And in that quiet space, that's kind of the choices we have, isn't it? Am I going to close myself off or am I going to open myself up to them? Or am I going to, or not or, but and, am I going to open myself up to God? Because in that space, I need to trust I'm drawing my life from a larger source. If I trust I'm drawing the depths of my life from God, from a source larger than just my everyday social interactions, that is what empowers me to return with humility. Because I know however they respond whether they get mad at me or try to shame me or try to hold me in contempt, 
or they just welcome me back, which so often people do. I know when I'm opening myself up to God in that vulnerable kind of humiliated space, I hear that sense of the presence of God saying, you know, no matter how they respond, you're going to be okay. Whether they're mad at you or not, I'm with you. That does not define you. Whether they tell people or not and that you, you worry people are talking about you, that is not who you are at the deepest level. It's just a mistake. You are more valuable than just that. So whenever we fail, make mistakes, get humiliated, even building off the first one, we have that chance of, man, am I going to close down or am I going to open up? Am I going to shut myself off from the world or am I going to open myself up to God and to others and let myself be a little more human? Let myself, give myself the permission to make a mistake in my relationships knowing Making that mistake is not going to make or break our entire friendship, relationship, company, church, team, staff, or whatever it is. So our failures should not close us off to the world. They should open us up to God. Now, question number three, as I swipe through, if this is another one about struggle and failure out of all these other like kind of generally inspiring things or things about courage or whatever, then I guess the theme today is, you know, how do we fail forward in life? How do we struggle into our story more? So the next one I'm looking at, this one is completely different. And this is one that I love a lot. This quote says, if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. If you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. There is so much wisdom that is just pouring out of creation and of this universe at all times. And what's fascinating is because I am a person who prepares sermons quite a bit, there are scriptures that I have preached on before about this very topic that I've never heard any other pastor preach on. That doesn't make me better in any way. It's just a fascinating thing that I've thought about. Because there are scriptures, like I think it's in Proverbs 24, 32. I think it's Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. But in those different scriptures, by the way, I might be wrong on both of those. So if you check those and they make no sense, that's on me. I accept that. Failure is the word of the day. Um, in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, the writer of these sort of short wisdom sayings, which is exactly what we're talking about today, he talks about the ability to learn from ants. So you can imagine this ancient Near Eastern person sitting down, watching ants in all of their movement, taking in and considering everything they are doing, making that connection with his world, his relationships, her world, her relationships, her life, and then just forming some general conclusions about that. I think it's in Proverbs 24, 32, where the writer, like, he sort of paints this picture of going by a field. Going by a field that has not been taken care of properly, and so it's sort of wild and all over the place, and not really fulfilling its potential because it hasn't been taken care of. And then the writer says, I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. So here you have this writer looking at creation, 
applying his heart, learning a lesson, and then he comes up with this thing, like this little short quote. And the quote, I don't know it exactly, is essentially the writer saying like a little sloth, a little slumber, meaning if you're lazy and you don't take care of things, the potential is not going to come out. And I'm to me, I've always loved those because a little personal story, that is the primary way I started connecting with and hearing from God in my life as a teenager. It was just me paying attention to the world around me. It was me looking at a tree long enough blowing in the wind that led me, like I applied my heart to what I observed, like the writer learned a lesson from what I saw. So I would look at a tree in the wind and after a while, I would think something to myself like, that tree is not forcing any movement. The tree is not trying to be like the bush next to it. The tree is not fighting the wind. The tree is flowing with the wind. And then I would think about that and I would make that connection to my life, to our world, to our lives as human beings, to relationships, to whatever it was. And I would say, man, we we don't have to fight the wind of our life. We don't have to fight the circumstances. We can sort of learn to flow and adapt and bend and learn to accept whatever conditions come to us while still remaining rooted in the earth, while still remaining rooted in who while still remaining rooted in who we are. Or even with comparison, I would look at the tree saying, that tree is not trying to be like that bush. The tree's glory, the tree's freedom is an accepting and trusting and learning to be exactly what it is. It's a tree. That's why I remember years ago taking a walk and I had a similar thought and this sort of one-liner just came to me and I, and I remember thinking to myself, a plumeria doesn't compare itself to a palm tree, which is a quote that only comes from living in Hawaii. But I just thought a tree's more visible. A tree is seen by more people in a day. But this one plumeria that I recognize, it's not worried about the fact it isn't a tree. It's not worried about the fact that people driving by don't recognize it as easily as other people recognize the tree simply because it's bigger. Like the plumeria has the freedom to just be a plumeria. That plumeria has the freedom to blossom and say, whether or not anybody sees me, I'm going to be all that I am for this world. And you make that connection with our lives. Why are we constantly trying to compare ourselves to a tree when we've been born a plumeria? Why, if we're this kind of a leaf, are we worried about what those flowers are doing? You're not those flowers. Like, to me, to go back to the original quote, if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. If you look at the waves long enough, they will teach you. And I actually say this, something to help capture how to do that or how to think about drawing wisdom from creation around you there's this idea right here there's what's happening and then there's what's happening 
within what's happening. So even out of our window in our office right now, I can see most of the waves in town because we're so high up in this building. So I can see surfers at all these different breaks right now. So to me, there's what's happening. I can see a surfer catch a wave, ride it, kick out, paddle back out to a lineup. But then when I think about wisdom pouring out from creation, if I think about if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. And I think about what's happening within what's happening. That surfer shows us this whole thing in life. It's not about competing. It's about cooperation. That surfer just in a free surf. Yes, of course, your ego can kick in and you want to be better. But he's not competing with other people primarily. He's definitely not competing with the ocean. That surfer is cooperating with the ocean that is much larger than him or her. That person is not imposing their will on the wave. That person is allowing the wave itself to determine their movements. That person is responding to the energy flowing in the water. So there's what's happening, the person surfing. Then there's what's happening within what's happening is, man, this has something to teach us about cooperation compared to competing. This has something to teach us about trying to force our will on an environment that's saying, that can't happen here. And then humbling ourselves and saying, instead, I'm going to figure out what it means to cooperate and work with my environment instead of trying to impose my will in a way that's inorganic to this relationship, to this job, to this world, to my skill set or whatever it is. And also, I think even just thinking about that and how this practice, because what I'm talking about is a practice. If you look at anything long enough, it will teach you, which means if you want to learn wisdom, Take the intentional time to actually look at things deeply. So even as I'm doing that, I'm watching somebody on a wave right now surfing. And as this person kicks out, literally, as I said that, you know what that, you know what that, that moment also teaches us? The ability to appreciate something while it's here and to immediately let go of it right after. That person I see piling back out right now is never getting that wave back. They can never recreate that wave. They can never force the wave to feel and look exactly the same. That person caught the wave. They were on it for three to five seconds. They kicked out and now they're back in the lineup waiting for the next wave. And I look at that and I think about our lives and I think, how often do we try to hold on to things that are no longer here? How often do you try to hold on to a relationship that is no longer working? How often do you try to hold on to like a season or a chapter of your life that's no longer here? You're like, man, summer of 2016. That I, a part of me feels like that was as good as it gets. And because you believe that, you keep trying to recreate it wherever you go. You keep comparing this session to that session. You keep comparing this summer to that summer, and it never quite lives up to it. But the real freedom is not trying to recreate the summer of 2016. The real freedom is letting go, appreciating it for what it was, and looking forward to the next one because you're trusting there's more life ahead. Like that surfer can kick out with confidence and go back to the lineup because she knows there's more 
waves coming. Just in this session alone, that doesn't even include tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Our ability, so that surfer, when we say, if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. To me, what that surfer has the ability to teach us right now is your ability to let go of what you had before is determined by your ability to trust that there's more ahead. Oftentimes when you meet people who are holding on to the past, who have a hard time letting go, you meet people who who have a hard time trusting there's more goodness ahead. There's more relationships ahead. There's more stuff to create ahead. There's more, there's even more freedom ahead. I think sometimes the people who are trying to recreate what once was are people who have a hard time trusting it actually gets better. So think about just that moment alone. There's what's happening. That's the surfer on the wave. Then there's what's happening within what's happening. What does that wave and that energy in that moment have to teach us? Because to return, and I'll wrap up with this, to return to this quote, if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. That practice of paying attention to creation, of paying attention to nature, of paying attention to everything around you. Like for people who listen, who go to church and listen to sermons once a week, the sermon you hear on a Sunday should not be the first sermon that you heard that week. And I'm not referring to listening to podcasts. I'm not referring to listening to podcasts. What I mean is the trees are preaching sermons every time you walk by them. The plumeria is proclaiming truth to you and it's inviting you to pay attention. The waves in the ocean are sharing secrets with you And they're just waiting for you to pay attention a little closer so you can actually hear. Like, there's the mountains, the sky, the stars, the sun, the clouds, the the water dripping off of your car, the dirt on the ground. Creation is preaching sermons and proclaiming truth to you at all times. The real question is, are you paying attention? Are you looking at something long enough? And paying attention close enough to actually hear all of the wisdom that God is speaking to us through creation. So I think I'm going to end there. The beginning, we talked a little bit about failure and hiding and what it means to be open. I actually forgot the first quote by this point. But now the second one was about failure and opening up. And the third one is, if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you. Listening to this and then listening to the next podcast I post in two weeks, you should have heard at least 15 to 20 teachings before you hear the next one that I do. What are the trees teaching you if you pay attention? Man, they're talking about being rooted. They're talking about not having to change circumstances to remain who you are. They're talking about what it means to just trust. And like the trees, just the trees alone, if you pay attention, are teaching and preaching and proclaiming truth at all times. Because if you look at anything long enough, it will teach you creation 
is preaching her sermons at all times. Are you paying attention? Mm. 